Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad, where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. My guest today is Elsa, who joins us from the beautiful Canary Islands, where she was born and raised. And you'll come to find out that I, a place that I have fallen in love with, I absolutely love the Canary Islands. But we don't stop there. She's actually traveled the world via her career with the World Bank and helping developing countries stoke economic activity and do so in a sustainable way. So we learn all about the World Bank. We learn a lot about the developing world. We travel from Papua New Guinea to Latin America to Sub-Saharan Africa and a couple more circles around the globe before we get back to the Canary Islands where she has founded a company called Pueblos Remotos, which is helping remote workers come live, stay, and work in remote areas of the Canary Islands and give back to the local people there while doing so. It's a beautiful mission, really awesome company. Her story is a lot of fun, and uh, I learned a lot along the way. So I hope you'll enjoy this one. I definitely did. Please help me in welcoming Elsa to About Abroad. Hola, Elsa. Bienvenidos to About Abroad. How's it going? Hola, Chase. Muy bien. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's so cool to uh, to finally meet you. And I think we're going to have some fun getting into a couple things that I really love. I don't, You don't know this about me yet, but I really love villages. I really love the Canary Islands. And I obviously really love talking about people living in other countries. And you've lived like all over the world. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm sure we will. A lot of things in common. Yeah. For sure. So, okay, let me just start with this. Where are you right now? I have no idea. So I'm based in uh, Tenerife, in one of the Canary Islands. Um, have you been here? Yeah, yeah, I have, actually. I, I spent last winter down there and, and a little bit of this winter down there. I've kind of fallen in love with the Canary Islands, actually. So here I am, although I was actually born in Fuerteventura, which is another island. But and which one are you on now? Tenerife. You're in Tenerife. Okay. All right. And where in Tenerife? In Santa Cruz. That, that's the capital. Yeah. I grew up, I grew up here. So. Gotcha. That, you know what's so crazy is how different Santa Cruz is? I mean, not, oh, I was going to say Santa Cruz from Fuerteventura, like, or, or Tenerife from Fuerteventura, but like, just in, I mean, you, you get like an entire continent on an island in these little, on each one of these individual islands, but then they're so distinct from each other and they're like super close to each other. Definitely. That's the beauty of the Canary Islands that we have a microclimate. So within Tenerife, only our island, only the island where I am right now, you can find all kinds of weather. Weathers. You can be up there in El Teide, which is the highest mountain in Spain, with the snow. Actually, it was snowing last night. And you can go down to the beach in the south and sunbathe. So yeah, that's the beauty of it. How far is that? Like for someone that's never been there before, like, um, I mean, it's, you can see it. Like you can literally, I mean, I remember sitting on the beach in Tenerife and uh, La Puerta de la Cruz and looking up and seeing the Tilde, like the snow-capped mountain, which as you said, is the is the tallest mountain in all of Spain. I mean, but it's like what, like an hour drive? It's an hour. It's an hour drive. Yeah, that's um, wow. it's a very it's a very small island. But yeah, 
you have all kinds of views and climates and, and so on. And then each of the Canary Islands is completely different from each other. As you said, Fuerteventura is going to, it's like going to the desert, right? You have yeah. these sand dunes and, and so on. If you go to La Gomera, completely different also too. So each of them, when people ask me, where should I go? I'm like, <laughs> it really depends on what you're looking for. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can back you up on this. I have told people that as well. I think I use the continent on an island thing. I didn't make that up for anybody wondering and I didn't, I'm not claiming it as my own little phrase that I, I made up here. Uh, that is something that they actually say, I think specifically about Gran Canaria. I might be mistaken there, but, but they they all kind of feel that way, or at least the ones that, that I've been to, but I haven't been to Fuerteventura. But when, when you're on these islands, like it is just really hard, you know, to imagine I'm, for instance, I'm from the Southeast US. So we're used to like the Caribbean islands and the the keys and those islands. And they're like, they're beautiful, but they're, they're, you know, they're flat, like tropical kind of like rocks with beautiful beaches and sand and it's it's great in its own way but it's hard to imagine being on some of these islands if that's where you're from and and just seeing like you know snow-capped volcanoes and right next to that same tropical looking beach with beautiful water and yeah mm -hmm. i mean i don't know it's just and then there's like forests and rolling green mountains and deserts and sand dunes and it is just kind of insane how that like continent on an island thing is is really true and you can sometimes drive the whole island in in an hour mm -hmm. exactly also the black sand is quite different and anyway it's yeah it's you you need to you need to see it no to you need to experience it to to really understand how how they are so we invite everyone to come to the Canary Islands. <laughs> well, I'm excited to we're going to come back to this I think a little bit later we'll get back to like the the story of how you returned because I'm genuinely interested in that but I wondered if we could spend a few minutes talking about a little bit of your past because you were you know you were born there you spent some time in in the Canaries but then you've lived all over the world and I'm kind of curious to know how you were able to do that and the places you've lived and such. So I don't know where you want to start with that. It's a very broad question, or maybe it's not even a question. It's a statement. But could you could you sort of just tell us a little bit about your your past and sort of, you know, where you went from the Canaries and, and onward from there? Sure. Happy to do so. I will try to summarize it. But yeah, if you have any questions on the way, throw them up. So as you said, I grew up here in the Canary Islands and then I had the opportunity to study in Madrid. So I moved to mainland Spain and I lived in Madrid for around seven years. I studied economics. I didn't have any idea of what I wanted to do with my life. Back then, I studied economics because, you know, it was what my father said and it was something I didn't really dislike, but I didn't love. Anyway, uh, I don't regret it because it opened a lot of doors for me. So as I finished economics, I started, I did this master's on um, international business management. What I did know is that I wanted to live abroad. I wanted to travel the world. That was kind of like my dream. So thanks to this master, I was able to, well, beforehand, I, I went on Erasmus to Belgium. That's why I lived in Antwerp and afterwards in Brussels. But I really wanted, I wanted to go farther away. So thanks to this master I was referring to, I had the opportunity to work for the embassy of Spain in the US. So that's how I got to Washington, D.C., uh, where I ended up living for five years. So I went for this year in the embassy and I thought it was going to be my year in the US. So I did everything in one year. Like I went 
all over the US going crazy about this experience and adventure. And actually, it broadened my scope of what I wanted to do in my life because the, being there and living in, the, in, in Washington, I learned a lot about the World Bank and the mission of all these NGOs. And I thought, okay, th this could be my purpose. I, I really want to do something meaningful with my job, right? Like I want to support other bigger causes and, and the developing countries. So thanks uh, to this program, uh, which is part of the government of Spain, apart from the master working in the embassy, I could, uh, for the second phase, I could work for an international organization uh, such as the World Bank. In my year, there were three positions and that's how I got into one of them. So I stayed in the US for five years. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I did everything now. No, I'm kidding. There is always stuff to do in the US. It's so big. So yeah, so I started working for the World Bank. I was based in the US, but I was traveling like 75% of my time. I was focused back then on helping um, SMEs, so micro, small and medium enterprises to get access to finance uh, in those countries, right? In developing countries. So I was covering most of sub-Saharan Africa. So my countries were Sierra Leone, Ni Liberia, Nigeria, Ghana, and some others in, in South Africa. Um, Southern Africa. Wait a second. So you were, but you were based in the U.S. and so you're from the Canary Islands, just <laughs> right there. And, I know. and they're sending you from the U.S. over to Sub-Saharan Africa. Like, I mean, for people who are not familiar with where the Canary Islands are, like, take a second and Google it real quick. It's right there, off the coast of, would I mean, off the coast of of Morocco, and I mean, you're right there. So, okay, all right. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the ironic part of it, but yeah. And, and that's, and probably, I don't know if everybody knows what the World Bank is, but it's one of these big international organizations that, uh, which mission is to support the development of, of well, shared prosperity and support the development of developing countries, right? So my team was a global team and we would cover different regions. So I was in charge of, of, of Africa. That's why I was back and forth. But then I was also in charge of Latin America. So uh, some of the countries in, in Central America, like Haiti, well, like Costa Rica, um, Haiti, and then, yeah, Colombia and some other. So that was um, part of my time in the in the World Bank. But then I was... I would I would love to know actually a little bit more about that. I, so, I, I, you know, people, when you say you worked for the World Bank, I go, okay, I know what, what that is. But I guess I don't really know the, the depths of it. Like, I, I know about as much as what you've said, which is that it's there to... To help support developing countries, and get, is it mainly getting them access to financing? Uh, small, like you, you were specifically working on small businesses. So, does this somewhere bridge the gap with like microfinance and and helping entrepreneurs get access to financing, or or is there a bit more to it than that? Or that that was only my area, right? The World yeah. Bank is huge. It covers many different aspects, from water ac access to water to energy, um, housing, finances a big area you have even tourism you have imagine all the different aspects that you need to run a country but you you need help with right um, mm. so you have teams within the world bank we are like 
we are, we were, I, I was part of it, but they are like 15,000 people working on, on, we have eight buildings in DC, but then you have teams in and offices in most of these developing countries, right? Wow. So you have, as I said, different areas and everyone specializes in, in one of those. I was for the most, for the first six years, I was focused on finance, as I said, um, on that specifically. And I was working together with central banks and ministries of finance of those countries plus the, sec the banks, the, the commercial banks, to facilitate this access to credit, right? But that's just a small piece of what the World Bank does. So yeah, I could give a talk of like two hours is talking about what the World Bank does, um, but just for you to have an idea. That's okay. Could you maybe like illustrate with a like an example of something you would be working on in say sub-Saharan Africa? Like, is it? I guess what I would love to know is like where do the the people on the ground actually? You know, is it is it just mm -hmm. these big institutions talking to each other, or or is there like you know like a, a goat herder at the end who's like going to get to expand his goat herding practice? Right. Most of the times it gets up there, you know, institution to institution. And, and it's hard to see the, the actual impact. In my projects, they were very long, so I could see a little bit of everything. I had a lot of the blah, blah talk up there, but then when you get hands-on, we would do trainings and we would set up financial schemes for, for very small entrepreneurs. So I remember some of them getting funds or getting financing for buying these um, tuk-tuks, you know, the, the yeah. small um, transportation or, you know, to set up their small business. I, I, I mean, but all that has to be done with all of these stakeholders working together, right? right. So that's the difficulty, but also seeing the local government and the local clients trying to honor this and, and you know, promoting this type of finance in their own country was, was my reward. But we had to pass laws, we had to you know, it's a very complicated uh, type of project. But so it was ironic to live in DC and then travel to all these countries, right? So I was like, I was on a point where I told my manager, I really want to experience this on the ground. I want to go to one of the offices because I think the real work is there, you know, mm -hmm. living in that country. You were kind of like stepping in and then stepping back out and like you couldn't really get your, your like hands dirty. Exactly. And it's like, you know, for me, it was a reality check when I would go to these countries. But then you get out and you kind of forget how privileged you are and, and you know, how we just complain about uh, trivial things. So I really wanted to experience on the ground this type of work. And my manager, I was covering Africa and Latin America, and he had the idea of sending me to Morocco in, in Middle East and North Africa. And I'm like, I, I no, he said first Egypt or Jordan. I'm like, no, I don't speak Arabic. I'm not going there uh, as a single woman. I don't, I don't feel like. And then when he came back and said, what about Morocco? I'm like, okay, well, I speak French. I would feel more comfortable. It's so close to the Canary Islands. Finally, I'm going to be close to home. Um, so I said, okay. And I went for a year and I actually stayed uh, for two years working wow. from Morocco. Still working on the same type of projects, but covering African Middle East. So Lebanon, and Tunisia and some other countries in that area. And it actually, it was a very... I. For, as a personal experience was huge, right? Like I learned a lot. Um, um, plus professionally too, and I, and I actually was easier because I was in more or less the same time, time zone. So it, it made it easier for me. But still, I was not fulfilled. I'm like, I like this, but if I could apply all of this to sustainable tourism, which is my passion, that was mm -hmm. my passion and I never 
had the opportunity to work on that. So then is when I decided to take a break after the two years in Morocco. And I got into this specific master on sustainable tourism in Australia. And you're going <laughs> to ask, why Australia? I thought you were about to jump straight to the Canary Islands from there. And I was like, I know we're, there's a chapter missing here. Okay, it's Australia. Got it. Yes. Yeah, so why Australia? Well, I, I did a lot of research asking. Uh, you, you were so close to home. You, had, you were almost there. And then you just said, no, I'm going to go to the other side of the world. Exactly. How life is just, you never know. Anyway, I I actually did a research asking a lot of tourism experts, what would they recommend? And I ended up choosing these masters. And I said, okay, if I get in, I will actually take the time to do it in, you know, in person and, and go there. And because one of my dreams was to live in Australia. So I'm like, I'm, I'm just gonna, you know, two birds, one stone. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just gonna do it all. So yeah, I, look, I moved to Melbourne first and the, I started doing my master's. And I remember the first day, the, the teacher, one of the professors that I really love, he, he was like, welcome to this master and be ready because you are not going to enjoy your holidays anymore. And I'm like, okay. And it's true. Oh my God. Since then, every time I travel, I question everything so much i'm questioning you know how are they treating the the employee the employees what are they doing with their resources how they are managing you know all the tourism value chain and, and so on so i got so specialized in tourism and i was enjoying my classes for the first time in my life and australia is an awesome it's beautiful and i love it there the point is that even when i asked for a leave without pay from the world bank i could still work as a consultant as an external consultant for them. And I knew there were a lot of uh, nice projects going on from the Sydney office, working in, in tourism in, in, in the Pacific Islands. So I started knocking doors. And uh, once I finished my master's, they, they let me go there and work for, for the office uh, in Sydney. And I got into very nice projects in the Fiji Islands and PNG, Papua New Guinea, for those of you wow. who haven't. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I know we use a lot of acronyms of Papua New Guinea. Yeah, and that was amazing uh, having that opportunity working on sustainable tourism development. Um, and look at this. I started to see everything aligned, like these islands are starting to develop, right? What about if we do things right with them? If we don't, if we help them don't make the same mistakes that mature desti destinations such as the Canary Islands or Hawaii or the Maldives have already made, you know? Mistakes like what? Like over-tourism, like destroying areas of the islands that cannot be recovered anymore, you know, pushing for mass tourism, don't thinking about the local well-being, the local community well-being. So these are the things that new destinations need to take into account. How are we going to do this without compromising our natural resources, without compromising the life of the people who, who are here, who are from here and who you know, need to also benefit from from these, right? Yeah. And, and who are you consulting in that case? Like that, that has to, I mean, I'm just envisioning you like standing in Papua New Guinea, a mm -hmm. girl from the Canary Islands who's now working in Sydney. And like, now you're talking to somebody in Papua New Guinea. And like, I'm just wondering like what that 
looks like like are you are you talking to like a local hotel owner or are you talking to the mayor of the town or like are you out giving speeches mm. like what is the what does this look like on the on the ground i'm i'm totally fascinated by this it's a mix of everything that you said so it depends on on, on what phase of the project we were in we would be talking to the lock to the entrepreneurs to the accommodation places uh, we were helping them also to monitor uh, you know the the expenses and and how they could be more sustainable um, how we can connect the local accommodations with the local suppliers right mm. um, we did that a lot in in Fiji islands too so that hotels can don't have to depend on importing all these goods but can you know help locals also and and get all locally sourced. From that to talking to the Ministry of Minister of Tourism on developing new policies, to talking to the tourism board to see how we can target the specific market that we want to attract to these islands, right? Do we want to be Bali, where you have all these Australians going crazy, their party and so on? With you know, the big problem in Bali, for example, is that locals don't have enough water to 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 water their uh, rice fields because all this water is being diverted to the hotels, to the infinity pools, and so on. Plus, it's full of trash everywhere. And But you, as a tourist, do you ask yourself what's going on? Most people don't right. ask themselves. Yeah, not normally. <laughs> so <laughs> those are the things that are happening behind the scenes, and none of us realize. You know, something that, something that kind of like strikes me as interesting is in this role with the, with the World Bank and like your, your role in all this, and is that the sometimes like economic development and sustainability kind of butt heads. They don't have to, but they they often don't go together hand in hand. Um, I mean, you just, you know, talking about like, yeah, Bali's got an amazing, you know, pretty amazing economy by the standards of islands who are want to attract the tourists. And you've got people coming from all over the world, spending lots of money from other countries. Economically, you could say that's really good. But from a sustainability standpoint, as you said, locals can't water their rice fields because their water's going to infinity pools. And so these two things don't go hand in hand. So we'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This season is brought to you by my good friends over at Insured Nomads. They're the absolute best in the business when it comes to providing health, travel, and medical insurance for nomads, expats, and really just all forms of world travelers. I know insurance is often something that's overlooked when we're fantasizing about traveling the world, but it's absolutely necessity that we address this because often the policy you have in your home country isn't going to cover you while you're abroad. And it's also a requirement, as a lot of people may not realize, to actually buy private travel or expat insurance, as it's called sometimes, to obtain a visa or even enter certain countries. So fortunately, there are companies like Insured Nomads to help us with this. Not only do they have excellent coverage and great prices, but they're also providing a first-class experience with additional perks and best-in-class technology via their app. It's, a, it's an amazing experience. I can't recommend it enough. Now, this is a company that was built by world travelers for world travelers. So they know what it's like to find yourself in a difficult medical situation abroad, and they want to keep you from having that same bad experience. So the next time you're planning a trip abroad, whether it's for a week or a lifetime, check out Insured Nomads via the link in the show notes. Hey guys, so many of you write in asking how to support the show best. And if you are listening and made it this far into the episode, then I'm going to presume that perhaps you're one of those people that wants to help. So if that's the case, the best thing you could do right now would be to open up the app, 
that you're currently using to listen to this episode, go to the little arrow thing that allows you to share, select it and share it to one of your social media networks. That would be a huge, huge help. You can feel free to tag me at DC Warrington and I'll slap you a virtual high five from wherever I am in the world. Thank you so much for the support. We really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy listening to the rest of this episode. Okay, now back to the episode. If the World Bank is there to kind of stoke economic the economic flames of a of a country. It, I can imagine it can be really hard to also approach that from a sustainability standpoint and say, "Hey, you know, hotel owner in this place that's really trying to attract tourism, also let's do this very sustainably." Um, was that a challenge that you that you faced often? Definitely, you are absolutely right. It was a challenge that I still face nowadays. And also because when you talk about development, and that was something I would ask myself every single day is like, what is, what does development mean? Does it mean to be like the US and like Europe? What are we trying to do with these countries? Maybe they are happy as they are. Why do we have to push for development? Because development is equal to numbers, to having more, to, you know, Whereas we have forgotten about the quality of the people that visit us. And, yeah. you know, when you, when you talk to the Ministry of the ministries of tourism and they just focus on, oh no, this number of tourists arrive. Does it really matter the number of tourists? Or is it better if we focus on the quality of the tourism that it comes and the receipts that they that they provide, you know, like that they contribute to? So it's a completely change of mindset and it's super, super difficult and hard. But that's the beauty of it too, that you you are on that path of, of trying to make this happen. Yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, it's it's not not easy at all. But I think it can be. I mean, it, doing things sustainably can also be a you know a, a stimulus for the economy as well. So it's just it just depends on how you approach it. But I imagine that was a that could be a tough a tough sell at times. And then I think I had to go all the way to to Australia and and work in these Pacific Islands to realize what have I done for my own islands? What have I done for the Canary Islands? Right? Like then is when I started to ask myself if I could apply everything that I'm learning back home and stop this mass tourism development that we have and dependency that we have on this tourism, right? So then is when I started thinking, what about if I go home? For the first time in 16 years, I was asking myself, what about going home? So was that scary? Or is that kind of like, did you feel like you were getting off the adventure train? Like, uh, and like, okay, I'm heading back home? Or were you, was it just pure, pure enthusiasm? It was both. I was scared. I was really, it was kind of like a relief for, for feeling that finally, because uh, every time I would come back home for holidays or whatnot, they will be asking me, my friends, my family, so when are you coming back? And I'm like, these people, they haven't understood that I'm not coming back. And <laughs> so feeling bad for the first time, I was like, actually, uh, I need to listen to my body, you know, and my mind this time. Um, so I, I, I was so scared, though, of coming back and not finding my place and not knowing what to do that I actually negotiated to keep working remotely with Australia. Uh, so I, I resigned from my position in DC. I negotiated with my boss in Australia and I moved back home working remotely, right? So that didn't work as I, as I as I was thinking because time difference was huge. I had to give presentation at, at 4 a.m. in the morning. I had to, you know, like calls at midnight. I'm like, no, uh, I'm not doing this. So I, and I, actually I was more in that area 
of the planet that year. I had to spend two months in Fiji, one month in Hawaii, and I was like, this is not working. So I was like that for like six months, and then I started seeing also opportunities here. And then I started also meeting a lot of the local entrepreneurs and ecosystem in the in the island. And I started working on, on different projects here. I set up myself as a freelance slash small entrepreneur and I started working for the government here uh, on, on this project to attract more digital talent to the island, remote workers, digital nomads, uh, startups, precisely to diversify from that dependency that we have on mass tourism. So I was working for the uh, tourism board here and I was also managing the sustainability tourism plan for the island of Henry. So both projects I really love, but I thought the administration, the local administration in this country because we belong to Spain right was we're gonna be more efficient and you know <laughs> I don't know why I had that idea because <laughs> I was so used to work for developing countries administrations and then I had some hope that this was gonna be a bit better but actually it's probably sometimes worse the bureaucracy because when you have a mindset so much structured and for so many years it's so difficult to change whereas if you're building something from scratch it's sometimes way easier you mm -hmm. know you don't have to break things down to rebuild them in that case there there's just nothing there and when you have to like it's like if you have like an old house that you're like it's fine it works you know like I, we can stay here but it would be like we could just start from scratch we wouldn't have this you know <laughs> i wish it, sometimes you wish you could just start from scratch exactly so then i was for the I moved back uh, to the Canary Islands three years ago. Uh, so for the first two years, I was working on these projects I just mentioned after I left the the Australian contract. And then talking to to my business partner now, Carlos, uh, who I met the first week I moved back on this event on the, with digital nomads, we were discussing, you know, what can we do for the rural areas because we were having all these uh, news going on about the empty Spain, about how all these uh, rural areas are, are depopulated. We were thinking on how can we apply this to the Canary Islands? Because as we were saying at the beginning of the of the conversation, this, the islands are so small that towns or villages are not that isolated, right? You can be in, five, in 15 minutes drive, you can be in a urban area where you can find all the services. So we are not, the rurality here is different, but still they are forgotten, let's say. They, they are not visible to the public or even to the tourists right so we were like what can we do for these local entrepreneurs that are you know fighting each day with these small projects sustainable innovative but nobody is listening to them nobody is taking the nobody's acknowledging them so that's how we started developing what it is my main project right now and where i'm focusing my 100 of my energy and it's actually a combination of everything we have been talking about today and it's called pueblos remotos in English, it would be remote, remote villages or remote towns. And what, what we're doing is focusing on, on reactivating these areas by bringing a small groups of remote workers that want to, that are looking forward to give back to the local community that they are visiting. So we organize experiences. These small groups come for three weeks where they can keep working remotely, but they have the opportunity to collaborate directly and, and you know, immerse themselves in the life of, of these local projects that we have pre-selected. So after the three weeks, 
we see all these connections within, you know, the remote workers, the remote workers with the local entrepreneurs and the, remote, the local entrepreneurs among them as well. And we call that the connected rurality because at the end of the day, it's connecting people with people, right? Like making those and a lot of synergies and, and ideas come up. Uh, and that's what we are focusing on uh, right now. <laughs> I love it. So, okay. So let's illustrate for people who are, are trying to envision this. So you've got an entrepreneur on there on Tenerife who's got something like what, like a finca, like a, I don't know, like a big, a big home or a winery or something like that. Yeah. It could be, for example, the ones we work, because everything happens in the same municipality, let's say, no, in the same area, because we want the socioeconomic impact. We want to we wanted to stay in in the same area right to benefit the local community so the projects we can collaborate with or we collaborate with are pretty small but they they are super passionate about what they do so for example uh, we have worked with this beekeeper is 30 year old lady girl that is really passionate about bees and and you know she produces her own honey and and she also produces these bee wax uh, wraps you know for uh -huh. them for the food so that it doesn't go bad and you can experience everything with her right and she's she's amazing she won the the award for the best entrepreneur in 2020 uh, young, young entrepreneur yeah oh that's great that's cool that that that's that's awesome that she she won like in a day of like you know tech products and apps and stuff like i'm like exactly yeah give it to the beekeeper i like exactly. that Going back to the roots, right? So then the winery, for example, is a ecological wine and it's this guy by himself. Uh, he, he plants everything. He produces his own wine. There is also a, a farm which is also Tony, who is the owner and, and is her by herself doing everything again. So we try to support people that are really wanting to change the landscape, the to, to also fight for their own traditions. For example, when we did the edition in Fuerteventura, we have only done two until now. The second one was in, in Fuerteventura. We tried to really showcase the authenticity of the place. So we worked, for example, with a cheese maker, which, who does it everything super traditionally. We worked uh, with an animal's refugee. So it's, it's a refugee for farm animals that have been abandoned or wow. abandoned or, or mis mistreated. Yeah. So it's a mix of also with olive production, uh, aloe vera product. So everything that is artisan, artisan, manually done and authentic is what we work with. Yeah, and now we are launching the third edition that is going to happen in La Palma. Ah, love La Palma, the La Isla Bonita. The pretty island. And that's for a big reason because it's beautiful, but also um, uh, probably people know it because of the recent volcano, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a lot of people suffering from this. Uh, so we wanted to really support La Palma with our a small action. But, you know, nowadays I just tell myself if we all, you know, do something to change, we are we are moving forward, right? Like sometimes we are like, ah, why am I going to do this? This is not going to change anything. No, if we all get into it, take, it takes a lot of one percent efforts. Like you know, we we want to believe we're gonna you know swing this big stick and like change the world with it, and, you know, all at once. But in reality, it's a lot of little one percent changes here and there that make the difference over time. I think there you go, there you go. Yeah, and I mean La Palma is such an amazing place to visit. Like it's it's in incredible. You know, just mm. I, I would that sounds like an ideal place to go if you're gonna 
combine like sort of a, a vacation with giving back and, you know, meeting with other remote workers and enjoying a place that that sounds pretty idyllic. I, I wanted to ask you, so how I'm envisioning people coming like you've got, let's just say you've got a remote working. Uh, is it, are they normally groups? Like, is it normally like a collective that already knows each other? Or would you, is it more of, you know, individuals that just happen to band together in this one kind of like co-living experience for, for a week or, or for three weeks? Yeah, good question. So for now, or until now, what we have had are individual freelancers or people that work remotely that they yeah. don't know each other. So that's also the beauty of it because, you know, you just come yeah. and, and start meeting people for the first time and, and you get all this bounding and, and so on. And, this, and La Palma is going to be like that too. So we are right now in the communications campaign to, to get people to sign up. So we're looking for remote workers actively, but we are thinking of opening other experiences or replicating previous experiences for teams that already know each other. So it could be a team of a company. It could be a group of friends, remote workers that want to experience these. Because at the end, it's, it's the combination of you can still work, but you yeah. have the possibility of giving back, right? And enjoying, of course, connecting with the environment and getting to know these beautiful islands. So yeah, so for now, it's for freelancers, but we are willing or looking into other options right now. Cool. And where and where do you stay? Like, what kind of accommodations are you putting people up in? Because I feel like this is, from the pictures that I've seen and stuff, this is where it gets really juicy and, and fun. Yeah, and we are really happy with the place in La Palma. We try the places to also rep represent the historic, the history of, of the of the, or the authenticity of of the place, right? So they tend to be rural accommodation with all of them has a, have a history behind. And the place in La Palma is this beautiful big house. There are three houses because it's difficult to find capacity in this accommodation in the rural areas or. We tend to work with between eight and 12 people. So mm -hmm. there's the, the big house, a smaller house and another one, which is very close by. But the big house used to be the town hall of, the, of this village. Uh, right now it's not anymore. But it, all of them, and it was burned down with this fire in late 90s and it was rebuilt. And all the work, the wooden work inside is done by the owner. So he's carpenter and he did the work himself. Can you believe it? Wow. Um, so it's, and the views are amazing with the sunset every day right there on the, because you can look at the ocean, um, but it's also surrounded by, by nature. So it's, it's amazing, oh. the place. Which, which side of the island is it? Is it on like Tazacorte or on like? No, this is in Puen Caliente. It's in the south, the, the, the southern tip of La Palma. And it's very close to the volcano area. So we will be doing an action, actually an activity with the people affected by the volcano. And we will also be donating um, some of the revenues to, to one of the local associations. I love how um, I love, one of my favorite things about this podcast when I get to talk to like entrepreneurs like yourself is like kind of understanding their why, like why did you get into whatever it is that you're doing? And when somebody has a really strong why, it's very inspiring. And so I love hearing like your story took you from the Canary Islands, like to all these different places around the world, Latin America and Sub-Saharan Africa, living in Morocco, Australia, all throughout the world, working for the World Bank, helping, you know, helping countries raise their floor and and figure out how they could do things in a sustainable way, but also stoke that economic development that they're looking for. 
And then to like kind of bring that all back to where it started for you and to be building these individual, you know, relatively small projects where you're like, okay, we're going to help this beekeeper. We're going to help this one small vineyard and seeing that how that little 1% can add up. And and I can see your face, you know, the audience can't, but it like really lights you up. And it's, it's very, very cool to kind of connect all those dots. And, and I hope, I hope more people, I hope people like, if anything, like whether that, you know, people listening, if they want to go on this trip and join you and come to the Canary Islands, like that's awesome. But also like maybe it will inspire people to, who also have some interest in their home place. Um, You know, I think one of the very cool things that remote work does that maybe doesn't get talked about enough is that it can really help support these rural communities and you know developing countries yes by giving knowledge workers the ability to you know get a job in a far off place but also by tourism moving to places like this where you know you don't have to just go to a mega resort for 5 days and then shoot back home you can actually go and live and work in rural la palma for a month or two and invest your tourist dollars there so there's so many cool little levers to be pulled with all this and I love that you're facilitating it. I just, I think that's really awesome. Yeah, I think, I think, and then you summarized it pretty well. I was about to cry <laughs> listening to what I've done, but yeah, I probably, you don't, re- I didn't realize all of this until I was back doing what I'm doing, right? Um, now I see that I had to go through that process to be able to give back to my own community and give back, I think is the key word here because it doesn't matter where you're at home, at your hometown, whether you're traveling, whether you are on a business trip, it doesn't matter. We just need to focus on on giving back uh, and respect the place we are visiting at that moment or we are living in at that moment and think about, you know, how we can contribute to improve that place, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. we just focus on ourselves and and we forget about. That has been my story and my, (laughs) my travel around the world. And I hope, as you said, that I could inspire some people when I move back I, I, it was not that easy for me. I tried to find my way. I had to really say, okay, if the administration is not doing what I think it should be done, I'm going to do it myself. And sometimes we just need to do that, do it the way we think it should be done and not wait for anybody to help us or to support us or to tell us what to do. <laughs> we, <laughs> we sometimes know what we have to do and just, we just have to go for it. Yeah, I, I, mean, I love it. You got to roll up your sleeves and just do it yourself sometimes. And the Canary Islands are, are lucky to, to have you doing that. Uh, Elsa, thank you so much for sharing the story and, and for sharing Pueblos Remotos with us. Um, what, where can people go to learn more about either you or, or the company or both? We'll put these links in the show notes as well so people can go there with a quick click. But um, while they're listening, it's great to tell them as well. Perfect. Yeah. And, and thank you, Chase, for having me. Really love uh, talking to you and if people want to know more it's easy it's uh, pueblosremotos.com is our website and I also so Pueblos Remotos is under my small company that is called uh, Futural Tourism because um, I I want people to to understand there is a different way of, of doing tourism or, or visiting places so uh, they can find me in both um, or they can find me on LinkedIn and send me a message. I'm happy to to talk to, to anyone that might be interested. Awesome. Well, if you want to get in touch with Elsa, if you want to go visit a Pueblo Remoto in the beautiful Canary Islands, which if you haven't gathered from from my conversation here, I love. I'm I've, I just should say, like I should say, I should have said this in the beginning, but like I'm just totally fascinated by the fact like these islands are very far from mainland Spain and Europe and they retain a lot of European vibes. Um, but at the same time, you're like, 
deep, way out in the middle of the Atlantic in a lot of ways. You're right off the coast of Africa. You're way, way closer to Morocco than you are to anything in Europe. And there's this just very interesting mixture of of culture and food and and I mentioned already the uh you know the landscapes that are beautiful but just the architecture everything's just a little bit it's very very unique and uh you throw mix that in with the microclimates I mean it can change in 15 minutes you can go from what is it La Laguna there up the road from you and and you can go from Santa Cruz up to La Laguna and the temperature will drop by like 20 degrees Fahrenheit in like 10 minutes and you'll and it might be raining there and super sunny down on the beach in Santa Cruz and it's just I don't know it's a very it's a super unique place and so anyway I'm I'm a big fan. Well, you are welcome anytime, Chase. Hope to see you soon. I also love queso de la plancha con mojo and patatas arrugadas, the wrinkled potatoes. That's up my other guilty pleasure. So <laughs> thank you so much, Elsa. We'll we'll speak again soon. Have a great rest of the day. Looking forward to. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links. Aboutabroad.com slash newsletter to get our monthly newsletter. No spam, guaranteed. Or ratethispodcast.com slash aboutabroad where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me. It also helps more wanderers just like you find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, and we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.